Hi, I'm Alex. Welcome to reading. Poorly. As usual, you get a disclaimer. This book is about slavery. Slavery is bad. It makes me angry. I want it to make me angry. I want it to make you angry. I want it to make both of us uncomfortable. Both. I want it to make all of us uncomfortable. I mean, right now, as you're listening to it, it's kind of, you know, just me and you, one person. But in reality, you know, there's a few more. I'm not going to say how many more. <laughs> it's not, a, I, I'm not, a, you know, um, I'm not a podcast from, a, you know, a, one of the big networks or like NPR or something where, you know, NPR does a new podcast in the first episode, you know, within days has millions of downloads or something. <laughs> this isn't that popular. But uh, anyway, we, uh, yeah, we're hopefully getting uncomfortable and angry together reading about slavery. Not everything in this is pleasant, obviously. Um, some of it is violent. Some of it is vulgar. I've not marked this or any other episode in this book as explicit because I feel that it, um, that it is content that should be and could be handled by young folks. Maybe not super young, uh, you know, kindergartners or something, but, uh, you know, marking it explicit, you know, to me, that's like an R rating, <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, and even then there are some R rated movies that I think would be good for younger, you know, kids younger than 17 to see. So this has gone on longer than some of the other disclaimers. I will end this by saying, as always, Listener discretion is advised. Okay. There are plenty of other episodes of this podcast if you want to listen to them. And we're almost done with this one. But <laughs> we're coming up on a holiday special, so we're not going to finish it right away. <laughs> but uh, without further ado, 12 Years a Slave, Chapter 19. In the month of June, 1852, in pursuance of a previous contract, Mr. Avery, a carpenter of Bayou, Bayou Rouge, I almost said rogue, but it's Rouge, commenced the erection of a house for Master Epps. It has been previously stated that there are no cellars on Bayou Bluff. I don't remember him mentioning that, but it makes sense. Um, on the, because the water tables basically, <laughs> you know, the water line is the ground. <laughs> Um, on the other hand, such is the low and swampy nature of the ground, the great houses are usually built upon spiles. I have not seen the word spile, but I imagine it's like stilts. Another peculiarity is the rooms are not plastered, but the ceiling and sides are covered with matched cypress boards painted such color as most pleases the owner's taste. Generally, the plank and boards are sawed by... sawed, not sawn sawed by slaves with whipsaws, there being no water power on which mills might be built within many miles. 
When the planter erects for himself a dwelling, therefore, there is plenty of extra work for his slaves. Having had some experience under Tabitz as a carpenter, I was taken from the field altogether on the arrival of Avery and his hands. Among them was one um, whom I... I owe an immeasurable debt of gratitude. Only for him, in all probability, I should have ended my days in slavery. He was my deliverer, a man whose true heart overflowed with noble and generous emotions. <clears throat> well, foreshadowing. Also the fact that this is chapter 19 out of 22, so <laughs> gotta be getting close, right? To the last moment of my existence, I shall remember him with feelings of thankfulness. His name was Bass, I assume. Could be Bass. I don't know if his first name was Lance or not. And at that... I just dated myself, didn't I? And at that time, he resided in Marksville. It will be difficult to convey a correct impression of his appearance or character. He was a large man, between 40 and 50 years old, of light complexion and light hair. He was very cool and self-possessed, fond of argument, and always speaking within or with extreme deliberation. He was that kind of person whose peculiarity of manner was such that nothing he uttered ever gave offense. What would be intolerable, coming from the lips of another, could be said by him with impunity. There was not a man on Red River, perhaps, that agreed with him on the subject of politics or religion, and not a man, I venture to say, who discussed either of those subjects half as much. <laughs> It seemed to be taken for granted that he would espouse the unpopular side of every local question, and it always created amusement rather than displeasure among his auditors to listen to the ingenious and original manner in which he maintained the controversy. The uh, controversy, if you will. No. <laughs> I think it's Trevor Noah who I've heard pronounce it like that. It does not work on my tongue. It works fine for him. He was a bachelor, and a, an, quote, old bachelor. I would say a, quote, old bachelor, except, yeah. <laughs> um, according to the true acceptation of the term, like the way people accepted it, um, having no kindred living as he, he knew of in the world. Neither had he any permanent abiding residence, wandering from one state to another, as his fancy dictated. He had lived at Barksville three or four years, and in the prosecution of his business as a carpenter, and in consequence likewise of his peculiarities, was quite extensively known throughout the parish of Avielis. Uh, he was liberal to a fault, and his many acts of kindness and transparent goodness of heart rendered him popular in the community, the sentiment of which he unceasingly combated. Um, I will say, liberal was a small L, and don't forget this was written, you know, in the late 1800s. So, not only should you not assume, when it says liberal, that, you know, he would always um, align with modern liberalism, big L, I'm doing quotes with my hands like that makes any difference to you, um, but the meaning of the word may very well have morphed some anyway. My guess is that when it's saying he's liberal, it's like, um, like he's generous. He gives of his time and perhaps his money or, you know, willing to 
uh, willing to share what he has, um, you know, possessions or uh, provisions or whatever. Um, or like I said, his time. Um, that's my guess of, you know, what it's saying. Like less, you know, and I mean, it said politically, you know, he, he was active or activist, um, but more, I, I think the liberal has more to do with generosity, like liberal of spirit or something than with whatever we might now think of as liberal, though I could very well read the very next sentence and find out that I was completely wrong in my assumption, because as you, you probably know, if you have been listening to this, that happens. <laughs> He was a native of Canada. Oh, yeah. Communist. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, from whence he had wandered in early life, and after visiting all the principal localities in the northern and western states, in the course of his, whoa, per peregrinations. Okay. He's apparently from Miss Peregrine's School for the Gifted. No. Um arrived in the unhealthy region of the Red River. His last removal was from Illinois. Whither he has now gone, I regret to be obliged to say, it is unbeknown to me, or it is unknown to me. Um, he gathered up his effects and parted quietly from Marksville the day before I did. The suspicions of his instrumentality in procuring my liberation, rendering such a step necessary. For the commission of a just and righteous act, he would undoubtedly have suffered death, had he remained within reach of the slave-whipping tribe of Bi er, tribe on Bayou Booth. One day, uh, I really hope it's not just straight up like Bayou Beef. <laughs> it's French. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've talked about that. French is a beautiful language that I do not understand. One way, or one day while working the i transferred the two w's there the alliteration and into the day that's how that happened one day while working on the new house bass and apps became engaged in a controversy to which as will be readily supposed i listened with absorbing interest they were discussing the subject of slavery capital s I tell you what it is, Epps, said Bass. It's all wrong, all wrong, sir. There's no justice nor righteousness in it. I wouldn't own a slave if I was rich as Croesus? Croesus? I don't know. Which I am not, as is perfectly well understood, more particularly among my creditors. <laughs> There's another humbug. Uh, the credit system. Humbug, sir. No credit. No debt. Uh, credit leads a man into temptation. Da cash down is the only thing that will deliver him from evil. But this question of slavery, what right have you to your... Okay. <laughs> what right have you to your niggers when you come down to the point? Okay. The reason I said it there... <laughs> It still makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but the reason I said it there is because it was said completely differently than a anywhere else in the book. So I wanted to kind of establish that, I guess. Um, I'm not like looking for excuses to say the word 
as you know, <laughs> I have been uh, skipping it a lot. Um, but Northup is sitting here extolling the virtues of this man. Uh, Bass. I hope it's Bass. Um, and talking about how, you know, strong of an ally he is and stuff. And then here he is talking about how bad slavery is. So I am taking his use of the word to not be, you know, a demeaning insult to the slaves. Um, in fact, it could very well be that he's insulting Epps by saying that, by, you know, by stooping to the level of using the word, he may be mocking the use of the word. I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be more clear later. Um, but, and I'm not saying, you know, he's totally fine to say the word. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that I'm totally comfortable having said it. You heard me being uncomfortable saying it. And, and you hear me being uncomfortable saying it now. Um, but I will say that I do not have the sinking pit in my stomach that I did when I said it before. Um, because he didn't say it to demean somebody well to demean somebody lower than him um not lower well yeah yeah no because when you know when the slaveholders have said it they say it to bring the slaves lower than them because they believe the slaves are lower than them and that is not what bass is doing he does not believe the slaves are lower than him he does not believe the slaves are less than him um, so he is not saying it to abuse them and that if he says the, if he continues to say the word, I'm not going to continue to say it. I'm not going to get more and more comfortable saying it or something, but, um, I felt like I should say it and then discuss it like this simply because, um, I want to bring attention to the fact that it is very different it has a very different feel coming from his lips than from, you know, any of the others in the book, which is even still a different feel, uh, from when it was in, and then there were none, um, because there it was like, it was a very distant word. You know, it was one that they said casually because it didn't matter to them. I think it still matters to Bass. Um, but not in the same way that it matters to the slaveholders' apps in this case, but, you know, some of the others too. So, okay, moving on. Um, what right? Exclamation point, not question mark said Epps, laughing. Why, I bought I bought him and paid for him. Of course you did. The law says you have the right to hold a... Hey, I'm skipping it now. But begging his law's pardon, it lies. Yes, Epps, when the law says that it's... Uh, when the law says that it's a liar and the truth... Um, and the tr when the law says that, 
it's a liar, I think, and the truth is not in it. At first I was thinking, when the law says that it's a liar, but it's when the law says that, it's a liar. There is not a comma there, but I'm putting a pause there to make it more clear. Um, is everything right because the law allows it? Suppose they'd pass a law taking away um, your liberty and making you a slave. I was just thinking that I, this is a weird thing to think right now. I think there are my, I said 22 chapters earlier. I think there are, are more, but still we're getting close. Okay. Moving on. Oh, that ain't a supposable cause. Um, uh, wait, did I skip something? Is everything right? Because the law allows it. Suppose they'd pass the law, taking away your liberty and making you a slave. No. Yeah, I said that. Okay. Oh, that ain't a supposable cause, said Epps, still laughing. Hope you don't compare me to it. Yeah. Bass. Um, well, Bass answered gravely. No, not exactly. But I have seen them. N-words. Uh, before now as good as I am, and I have no acquaintance with any white man in these parts that I consider a whit better than myself. See? <laughs> Now, in the sight of God, what is the difference, Apps, between a white man and a black one? All the difference in the world, replied Apps. You might as well ask what the difference is between a white man and a baboon. See, that felt dirtier to me, or as dirty as saying the word earlier, that I will not say, that I will not repeat right now. Um... Now, I've seen one of them critters in Orleans that uh, knowed just as much as any one I've got. You'd call them feller citizens, I suppose. And Epps indulged in a loud laugh at his own wit. Look, um, yeah, one of them critters being a baboon, not, yeah. Look here, Epps, continued his companion. You can't laugh me down in that way. Some men are witty, and some ain't so witty as they think they are. Ooh, slam. Uh, now let me ask you a question. Are all men created free and equal as the Declaration of Independence holds they are? Yes, responded Epps. But all men. Uh. Oh, okay. But all men, and words, and monkeys ain't. So, as. Uh, all men are created free and equal, but he's differentiating. Um, and hereupon he broke forth into a more boisterous laugh than before. There are monkeys among white people as well as black when you come to that. <laughs> oh, I feel like it's going to be a long chapter. Um, coolly remarked Bass. I know some white men that use arguments no sensible monkey would. <laughs> including apps, but let that pass. These uh, are human beings. If they don't know as much as their masters, whose fault is it? They, they, they are not allowed to know anything. Um, so I haven't come to this yet, but um, I have wondered for some time what would happen if it ever came to question in my family um, the intelligence of our youngest, um, versus our oldest. Um, I won't say how old they are, but the youngest is, um, about a toddler and the oldest is good few years older and, uh, but not old enough to have been around a lot of, you know, babies 
toddlers. Um, and um, the oldest understands that the youngest does not know as much. But so far, she's never, uh, she's never called him stupid, which is good, obviously. But I've just been bracing myself for some time when she's mad at him or something, and she says he's stupid for not knowing something. And the way I wanted to explain it to her, and maybe I'll never have to, hopefully I'll never have to, is that... Um, we don't expect kids his age to know, you know, certain things. So if he doesn't know those things, he's not stupid. But if, you know, if someone older, you know, like my age, didn't know whatever that was, you know, we would expect that person to know that. And then we might, you know, consider them stupid, but we still shouldn't because, you know, that's, that's not fair to the person. There might be other reasons that aren't their fault. Um, and you know, so, so talking about that, like what, you know, stupid actually means, you know, basically not knowing things that there's an expectation that you should know. Um, not just not knowing things because, you know, a, a baby isn't born stupid. A baby is born not really knowing anything <laughs> or, well, not knowing a lot uh, compared to what the baby or what the grown person uh, will know later. But, um, but yeah, we don't expect a baby to know much of anything, right? Um, so, yeah, so you can't call them stupid. But then if that baby becomes 10 and still doesn't know anything more than what they knew when they were a baby, well, yeah, we might be right when we call them stupid. We still shouldn't. Because, you know, that's mean. It's, uh, it's potentially abusive. There are uh, There are better ways to describe it. But at least, you know, you could say that it's accurate. <laughs> Um, so I'm just thinking of this where it's like, well, I mean, you can't really have an expectation that the slaves will know everything that the, that the free men do, the free people do, because they're not, that they are actively prevented from learning things. So you can't judge them for that. That is your own darn fault, apps. They're not allowed to know anything. You have books and papers and can go where you please and gather intelligence in a thousand ways, but your slaves have no privileges. You'd whip one of them if caught reading a book. They are held in bondage, generation after generation, deprived of mental improvement, and who can expect them to possess, possess much knowledge? If they are not brought down to a level with brute creation, you slaveholders will never be blamed for it. Um, if they are not brought down to a level yeah with the brute creation i'm not quite sure what that sentence means if they are baboons or stand no higher in the scale of intelligence than such animals you and men like you will have to answer for it there's a sin a fearful sin resting on this nation that will not go unpunished forever there will be a day of reckoning yet yes eps there's a day coming that will burn as an oven 
It may be sooner, it may, or it may be later, but it's coming uh, as sure as the Lord is just. If you lived up among the Yankees in New England, said Epps, I expect you'd be one of them cursed fanatics that know more about more than the Constitution and go about peddling clocks and coaxing to run away. If I was in New England, returned Bass, I would be just what I am here. I would say that slavery was an iniquity and ought to be abolished. I would say there was no reason nor justice in the law or the Constitution that allows one man to hold another man in bondage. It would be hard for you to lose your property, to be sure, but it wouldn't be half as hard um, as it would be to lose your liberty. You have no more right to your freedom and exact justice than Uncle Abram yonder. Talk about black sin and black er, black skin and black blood. Why, how many slaves are there on this bayou as white as either of us? And what difference is there in the color of the soul? Pshaw, the whole system is an absurd, or is as absurd as it is cruel. You may own and be hanged. I'm not quite sure what be hanged means. But I wouldn't own one uh, for the best plantation in Louisiana. You like to hear yourself talk, Bass, better than anyone, any man I know of. You would argue that black was white, or white black, if anybody would contradict you. Nothing suits you in this world, and I don't believe you will be satisfied with the next, if you should have your choice in them. Conversations substantially like the foregoing were not unusual between the two after this. Epps drawing him out um, more for the purpose of creating a laugh at his expense than with a view of fairly discussing the merits of the question. He looked upon Bass as a man ready to say anything merely for the pleasure of hearing his own voice, as somewhat self-conceited, perhaps. Um, oh, okay. He looked upon Bass, comma, as a man ready to say anything merely for the pleasure of hearing his own voice. That second part, the as a man ready to say, blah, 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 is modifying he, Epps. The next part, separated by a semicolon, is the description of Bass. As somewhat self-conceited, perhaps, contending against his faith and judgment in order simply to exhibit his dexterity in argumentation. I do that sometimes. <laughs> uh, he remained at Epps's through the summer, visiting Marksville generally once a fortnight. The more I saw of him, the more I became convinced he was a man in whom I could confide, unlike that other guy. I don't remember his name. Nevertheless, my, ir my ill fortune had taught me to be extremely cautious. See, it was not my place to speak to a white man except when spoken to, but I omitted no opportunity of throwing myself in his way and endeavored constantly in every possible ma uh, manner to attract his attention. In the early part of August, he and myself were at work, alone in the house, and other carpenters having left, and Epps being absent in the field. Uh, the, oh, um... In the early part of August, he and myself were at work alone in the house, the other carpenters having left and Epps being absent from the field. Okay, I added something there, and it didn't make sense. Now was the time, if ever, to broach the subject, and I resolved to do it, and submit to whatever consequences might ensue. 
We were busily at work in the afternoon when I stopped suddenly and said, Master Bass, I want to ask you what part of the country you came from. Why, Platt, what put that into your head? He answered. You wouldn't know if I should tell you. After a moment or two, he added, I was born in Canada. Now guess where that is. Oh, I know where Canada is, said I. I've been there myself. Yes, I expect you are well acquainted all through that country, he remarked, laughing incredulously. As sure as I live, Master Bass, I'm pretty sure you went to Canada during the book. I replied, I have been there. I have been in Montreal and Kingston and Queenston and met, um, and a great ma many places in Canada. And I have been in York State, too, in Buffalo and Rochester and Albany, and can tell you the names of the, the villages on the Erie Canal and the, Chap and the Champlain Canal. Champlain, maybe. Bass turned round and gazed at me a long time without uttering a syllable. How came you here? He inquired at length. Master Bass, I answered, if justice had been done, I never would have been here. Well, how's this? said he. Who are you? You have been in Canada, uh, sure enough. I know all the places you mentioned. How did you happen to get here? Come, tell me about it. I have no friends here, was my reply, that I can put confidence in. I'm afraid to tell you, though I don't believe you would tell Master Epps if I should. He assured me earnestly he would keep every word I might speak to him a profound secret, and his curiosity was evidently strongly excited. It was a long story, I informed him, and would take some time to relate it. Master Epps would be back soon, but if he would see me that night after all were asleep, I would repeat it to him. He consented readily to the arrangement and directed me to come into the building where we were then at work, and I would find him there. About midnight, when all was still and quiet, I crept cautiously from my cabin, and silently entering the unfinished building, found him awaiting me. After further assurances on his part that I should not be betrayed, I began a relation of, my his of the history of my life and misfortunes. He was deeply interested, asking numerous questions in reference to localities and events. Having ended my story, I besought him to write to some of my friends at the North, acquainting them with my situation and begging them to forward free papers or take such steps as they might consider proper to secure my release. He promised to do so, but dwelt upon the danger of such an act in case of detection, and now impressed upon me the great necessity of strict silence and secrecy. Before we parted, our plan of operation was arranged. We agreed to meet the next night at a specific place along the high weeds in the bank of the bayou, some distance from the master's dwelling. There he was to write down on paper the names and addresses of several persons, old friends in the north, to whom he would direct letters during his next visit to Marksville. It was not deemed prudent to meet in the new house, inasmuch as the light... Uh, it would be necessary to use might possibly be discovered. In the course of the next day, I managed to obtain a few matches and a piece of candle unperceived from the kitchen during a temporary absence of Aunt Phoebe. Bass had pencil and paper in his tool chest. At the appointed hour, we met on the bayou bank, and creeping among the high weeds, I lighted the candle while he drew forth a pencil and paper and prepared for business. Um, or prepared for business. I gave him the names of William Perry, Cephas Parker, and Judge Marvin. Um, oh, well, there wasn't a comma there, so I'll pronounce, I, I'll repeat as written. I gave him the names of William Perry, Cephas Parker, and Judge Marvin. Are they roommates? 
all of Saratoga Springs, Saratoga County, New York. Um, no, of course. They're probably not roommates. There's just no Oxford comma there. I'm reminded of um, <laughs> the Saratoga Springs made me think of Sierra Springs, which is the fictional, I think fictional, um, bottled water company that is the favorite bottled water of Adrian Monk, the detective from the TV series Monk. Not just favorite, but the only thing he'll drink. <laughs> um, I had been employed by the latter in the United States Hotel and had transacted business with the former to a considerable extent and trusted that at least one man would be still living at that place. He carefully wrote the names and then remarked thoughtfully, It is so many years since you left Saratoga, all these men may be dead or may have removed. You say you obtained papers at the Custom House in New York. Probably there is a record of them there, and I think it would be well to write and ascertain. I agreed with him, and again repeated the circumstances related heretofore, connected with my visit to the Custom House with Brown and Hamilton. We lingered on the bank of the bayou an hour or more, conversing on the subject which now engrossed our thoughts. I could no longer doubt his fidelity, and freely spoke to him of the many sorrows I had borne in silence, and so long. I spoke of my wife and children, mentioning their names and ages, and dwelling upon the unspeakable happiness it would be to clasp them to my heart once more before I died. I caught him by the hand, and with tears and passionate entreaties implored him to befriend me, to restore uh, me to my kindred and to liberty, promising I would uh, weary heaven the remainder of my life with prayers that it would bless and prosper him. In the enjoyment of freedom, surrounded by the associations of youth, and restored to the bosom of my family, that promise is not yet forgotten, nor shall it ever be so long as I have strength to raise my imploring eyes on high. O oh, blessings on his kindly voice and on his silvery hair, and blessings on his whole life long until he meet me there. That, by the way, was verse. I don't know why suddenly there was a poem there. He overwhelmed me with assurances of friendship and faithfulness, saying he had never before taken so deep an interest in the fate of any one. And I said that like like any one was separate words, not anyone, because it is separate words. He spoke of himself in a somewhat mournful tone as a lonely man, a wanderer about the world, that he was growing old and must soon reach the end of his earthly journey, and lie down in his final rest without kith or kin to mourn for him or to remember him, that his life was of little value to himself, and henceforth should be devoted to the accomplishment of my liberty, and to an unceasing warfare against the accursed shame of slavery. After this time we seldom spoke to or recognized each other. Uh, he was, moreover, less free in his conversation with Epps on the subject of slavery. Hopefully Epps doesn't notice. The remotest suspicion that there was any unusual intimacy, any secret understanding between us, never once entered the mind of Epps or any other person, white or black, on the plantation. I'm often asked, with an air of incredulity, how I succeeded so many years in keeping from my daily and constant con companions the knowledge of my true name and history. Easy. He wasn't allowed to do anything with it. The terrible lesson Birch taught me impressed indelibly upon my mind the danger and uselessness of ascertaining, or of asserting, I was a freeman. See? There was no possibility of any slave being able to assist me, while, on the other hand, there was a possibility of his exposing me. 
when it was re recollected, the whole current of my thoughts for twelve years uh, turned to the contemplation of escape, it will not be wondered at that I was always cautious and on my guard. It would have been an act of folly to have proclaimed my right to freedom. It would legal right, but obviously God-given right that everyone has. It would only have subjected me to severe scrutiny, probably have consigned me to some more distant and inaccessible region than even Bayou Booth. Edwin Epps was a person utterly regardless of a black man's rights or wrongs, utterly destitute of any natural sense of justice, as I well knew. It was important, therefore, not only as regarded my hope of deliverance, but also as regarded the few personal privileges I was permitted to enjoy to keep from him the history of my life. The Saturday night subsequent to our interview at the water's edge, Bass went home to Marksville. The next day, being Sunday, he employed himself in his own room writing letters. One he directed to the collector of customs at New York, another to George Marvin, and another to Messrs. That's an intro. M-E-S-S-R-S. S-S-R-S. <laughs> no, no place for a vowel in there. Parker and Perry jointly. Um, oh. See, it had the, the Messers and then period. And I didn't realize, maybe it's some form of misters. You know, just there are two misters, Parker and Mr. Parker and Mr. Perry jointly. Um... I don't know. I can't or maybe it's master's part, you know, not master like slave master but the like a more formal address of mister. I don't know. That's interesting. It surely isn't monsieur. <laughs> I'm Oh, I remember having to pr pretend I was pronouncing French for the first book. <laughs> Okay. Um, the latter was the one which led to my recovery. He subscribed my true name, but in the postscript intimated I was not the writer. Uh, the letter itself shows that he considered himself engaged in a dangerous undertaking, no less than running, quote, to the risk of his life if detected. I did not see the letter before it was mailed, but have since obtained a copy, which is here inserted. Bayoubuf, August 15th, 1852. Mr. William Perry, or Mr. Cephas Parker. Gentlemen, it having been a long time since I have seen or heard from you, and not knowing that you are living, it is with uncertainty that I write to you, but the necessity of the case must be my excuse. Having been born free just across the river from you, I am certain you must know me, and I am here uh, now a slave. I wish you to obtain free papers for me, and forward them to me at Marksville, Louisiana, Parish of Aviellis, and oblige, yours, Solomon Northrop. The way I came to be a slave, I was taken sick in Washington City, and was insensible for some time. When I recovered my reason, I was robbed of my free papers, and in irons on my way to this state, and have never been able to get anyone to write for me until now and uh, he that is writing for me runs the risk of his life if detected. The allusion to myself and the work recently issued, um, entitled, quote, A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, 
interesting, contains the first part of this letter, omitting the postscript. Uh, neither are the full names of the gentlemen uh, to whom it is directed correctly stated, um, there being a slight discrepancy, probably a typographical error. To the postscript, more than to the body of the communication, I am, or am I indebted for my liberation, as will presently be seen. When Bass returned from Marksville, he informed me of what he had done. We continued our midnight consultations, never speaking to each other through the day, excepting as it was necessary about the work. As nearly as he was able to ascertain, it would require two weeks for the letter to reach Saratoga in due course of mail, and the same length of time for an answer in return. Within six weeks at the farthest, we concluded an answer would arrive, if it arrived at all. A great many suggestions were now made, and a great deal of conversation took place between us as to the most safe and proper course to pursue on receipt of the free papers. They would stand between him and harm in case we were overtaken and arrested, uh, leaving, the uh, leaving the country altogether. It would be no infringement of law, however much it might provoke individual hostility, to assist a free man to regain his freedom." Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, th th this is a legal proceeding. As long as they're in full view of authorities who care about that, then they will be okay. But if they if they end up um, now, I mean, we know that Solomon makes it. But um, if they end up. Um, Encountering, uh, maybe that's not the word. I don't know. <laughs> Bass Butter watches back. Because <laughs> there are people who are not going to like the fact that he did this, despite the fact that it was completely legal. And in fact, it was illegal for Solomon to be enslaved in the first place. At the end of four weeks, he was again at Marksville, but no answer had arrived. I was sorely disappointed, but still reconciled myself with, with the reflection that sufficient length of time had not yet elapsed, that there might have been delays, and that I could not reasonably expect one so soon. Six, seven, eight, and ten weeks passed by, however, and nothing came. I was in a fever of suspense whenever Bass visited Marksville, and could scarcely close my eyes until his return. Finally, my master's house was finished and the time came when Bass must leave me. The night before his departure, I was wholly given up to despair. I had clung to him as a drowning man clings to the floating spar, knowing if it slips from his grasp, he must forever sink beneath the waves. The all-glorious hope upon which I had laid such eager hold was crumbling to ashes in my hands. Um, I felt if sinking down, down amidst, amidst the... Uh, bitter waters of slavery from the unfathomable depths of which I should never rise again. The generous heart of my friend and benefactor was touched with pity at the sight of my distress. He endeavored to cheer me up, promising to return the day before Christmas, and if no intelligence was received in the meantime, some further step would be taken to effect our design. He exhorted me to keep up my spirits, to rely upon his continued efforts on my behalf, assuring me in most earnest and impressive language that my liberation should, from thenceforth, be the chief objective of his thoughts." In his absence, the time passed slowly indeed. I looked forward to Christmas with intense anxiety and impatience, and not for the usual reasons. I, uh, well, sort of. Pretty much the best gift ever, right? 
Um, I had about given up the expectation of receiving any answer to the letters. They might have miscarried or might have been misdirected. Perhaps those at Saratoga to whom they had been addressed were all dead. Perhaps engaged in their pursuits, they did not consider the fate of an obscure, unhappy black man of sufficient importance to be noticed. My whole reliance was in Bass. The faith I had in him was continually reassuring to me and enabled me to stand up against the tide of disappointment that had overwhelmed me. Um, yes, his faith is in Bass. His faith is also in the people he's writing to, right? Um, so wholly was I absorbed in reflecting upon my situation and prospects that the hands with whom I labored in the field often observed it. Ooh, not good. Patsy would ask me if I was sick, and Uncle Abram, and Bob, and uh, Wiley, is it Wiley or Willie? It's W-I-L-E-Y, so to me that feels like Wiley, but I don't know, maybe it's Willie. Um, frequently expressed a curiosity to know what I could be thinking about so steadily, but I evaded their in inquiries with some light remark and kept my thoughts locked closely in my breast. If you like what I do, subscribe on uh, your podcast platform of choice, rate um, on iTunes or, again, your platform of choice if it has a rating system. Um, if I am not available on your chosen platform and you would prefer another one, um, you can reach out. You can also reach out for other reasons, like constructive criticism, or to suggest future uh, future books, or future holiday specials. Future holidays to have a special for, because I know I don't know all of them. Um, and I would love to do some holidays that I am not necessarily familiar with. I'm not going to do like a whole year of holidays or something, but, you know, one every now and then. We have one coming up. We have Halloween coming up. I am definitely doing Halloween. And, okay, spoiler spoiler alert, I am doing two Halloween episodes again, because I did that last year, and I kind of liked it. So, um, anyway. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah. In order to get a hold of me, I mentioned you could get a hold of me, but I have not yet said how. You can find me on Twitter, at Reading Poorly or email readingcommapoorly at gmail.com. That's spelled out, R-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-M-M-A-P-O-O-R-L-Y at gmail.com. I think that's everything. I really just need to write down a list and make sure I hit everything on the list. But, you know, it's kind of fun not really knowing what I'm saying as I go. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, thank you for listening this... Uh, Thank you for listening this long to me reading poorly. <laughs>